This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We are in a sermon series called Finding God in Unexpected Places. It's inspired by the book Krish Kendaya wrote under the title God is Stranger. In our reading from Luke today, which is found on page 67 and 68 of your Pew Bible in the New Testament, we will be finding Jesus in an unexpected place with unexpected people. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So let us go to The passage, Luke 15, beginning with verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What Jesus does is he goes into a vignette, one after another, of a lost sheep, a lost coin, a prodigal son, a lost elder son. Let us pick up then with verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that the word that you need us to hear by your Spirit we would hear, receive, believe, and be empowered to be included in the kingdom of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Most of us have experienced what it's like to be excluded from something that others seem to enjoy. I remember how hard it was for me to get a table in middle school where I was accepted. 
I was one that was an outsider, as they say in New England, an outsider. And I couldn't find a place where I was included in other people's space at that 30-minute lunch hour in middle school. There is nowhere that is more evident of this division than when we go flying. Now, most of us fly coach, and a few fly first class. Now, first class has all the benefits. Passengers have their own flight attendants serving them gourmet food on china and crystal, whereas the rest of us back in coach, the outsiders, we have to buy our snacks. They come in paper sacks covered with plastic. Now, first-class passengers, they can fold their seats all the way back into a reclining position and sleep during the flight. Whereas coach, we pull up our knees under our chin and use that as a pillow if we want to rest. Arthur, uh, John Ortberg, an author, observes, on almost every flight, once the plane is underway, a curtain gets drawn to separate the two compartments. It is not to be violated. It's like the Berlin Wall. It's like the court of Gentiles that separates others from the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Jerusalem. This curtain is a reminder throughout the flight that some people are included and most are excluded. Heaven forbid that anyone in coach would ever dare to go use the restroom in first class. That is, one is for the eight that are there, whereas the two are for the 2,200 plus, most of whom are under the age of six. Now, we do know what it's like to be excluded from what other people have. But what about God? Is God more exclusive than first class? I mean, who's included in God's favor? Who's included in all these benefits of knowing God? And who is excluded? Luke 15 offers us answers. It begins with that verse that we read, verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the context is criticism of Jesus. They were grumbling among the Pharisees. Now, I, I know this doesn't happen in this church, but would you just practice your grumbling voice, please? Just grumble for a little bit. That's it. That's what was going on. Because Jesus was eating in the homes of religious lawbreakers. He was befriending them. He was teaching them. He treated them as though he loved them. But why is the question. They were tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors were Jews who had gone over to the dark side. That is, they were now working for the oppressive Roman authorities. Tax collectors had to pay those Roman authorities amount 
but they could charge anything they wanted to their fellow Jews and then pocket the change. They were fleecing their own countrymen. Some Jews found themselves, in order to survive these tax collectors, bribing them in order to reduce the tax rate. Do you realize the, the confusion, the unfairness of all of this? It lowered the morale and the morals of everyone. Tax collectors were bad to the bone, and Jesus was eating with them. Sinners, that's a technical term. A technical term for someone who's given up trying to keep God's law. At some point in life, they've just crossed the line one too many times. And you know how it goes. If you can't win, why play? Sinners had given up on the God whom they believed had given up on them. And so the Pharisees are grumbling about Jesus, including tax collectors, sinners in his circle. The term Pharisees is a technical term. It means serious ones. They were serious about obeying God, seriously religious about fulfilling the duties that God requires. Now imagine that God has in his house hanging portraits, and in those are the portraits of who's who in the kingdom. Pharisees imagined their portraits were hanging. Why? Because they were seriously obedient. So Jesus offers a corrective vision for the Pharisees. There are other portraits he is about to show. Beginning in verse 3, he tells them one parable. And it's as if it's a collage of pictures of those included in the kingdom. I pulled out of our archives a collage of what happened long ago when the steeple, the spire, was removed from our church in the top, which we hope you're going to go up and tour from the steeple, was replaced. This is an example of what Jesus will do in Luke 15, giving pictures of who's included. And I'd like you to take note of not only who is included, but how, why they got there. So the first picture that Jesus includes, we find in verse 4, the lost sheep. We read, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. Now, how does a sheep get lost? Well, sheep are not like border collies. Border collies are looking and scanning the environment always. Sheep keep their head down and they nibble. And then they follow the grass and they nibble over here. And then they nibble over here. They nibble their way forward without much thought or noticing. No sheep decides to get lost. It nibbles its way until it can no longer see the shepherd and has come into harm's way. People get lost in a similar way. 
Christina never meant to lose sight of God. As a little girl, her family took her to church with them, but when she got to college, she stopped attending on her own. In college, she met her future husband. They later married and had children. Christina wanted to take them to church in the same way that her parents had taken her, but she could never find the right church the one that she had in her mind. The kids grew older. Sunday morning sports and weekend friends became the priority. And when the kids were grown and gone, it was only then that Christina looked up and realized how far she had moved from the God she once knew so intimately. I don't know if that describes you, a part of your journey. A sheep cannot find its way home. It is excluded. It's outside the bounds. It needs a shepherd to come after it. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in Jesus' parable, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one. Now, this is unexpected. Businesses know how to cut their losses. Most of us, when we think someone's missing, ah, leave them alone and they'll come home, a little like Bo Peep. But Jesus is the good shepherd. It was in the early church and its art that it was depicted as a shepherd who had a heavy sheep on his shoulder. It was extraordinary large sheep. It was to depict the heavy price Christ bore on our behalf. Verse 7, just so, just so I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. I don't know if you caught that. The sheep is lost. The shepherd goes and finds, puts the sheep on his shoulder. Jesus is defining repentance in this situation as the willingness to accept being found. I don't know if you have ever felt excluded from God. The good shepherd is looking, looking for you and includes anyone who is willing to be found. Let's look at our second picture. It's of a woman, verse 8, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, a sheep nibbles its way. It doesn't need to get lost, but it does. But how does a coin get lost? By no fault of its own. It gets dropped. It's mismanaged. It's lost. How can a person get dropped? Well, by neglect, by carelessness. A parent wasn't there for them. No one taught them what God was like. No one brought them to worship. No one cared enough when they were sick to demonstrate the love of God. No one showed them what it's like 
to have the love of God, to ignite their faith, a soul can get dropped. But how else can a person get dropped? Abuse. For many, it is emotional abuse. Words that are aimed to hurt. For others, it's physical abuse, even violence. And for a growing percentage of people today, it involves sexual abuse. And the impact is far worse when the abuse is at the hands of a spiritual leader or someone who is trusted. Are you like a coin which has been dropped through no fault of your own? When a a Jewish girl got married, she was given a headband of ten silver coins. It was the equivalent of a modern wedding band. It was a serious thing to lose a coin that was so precious. You are precious to God. And Jesus likens himself to a woman who lights her lamp and against all odds sets about the hard work of searching for what was dropped. In this culture, in a peasant home, uh, a woman stayed in the home predominantly. So if the coin is lost, it's going to be in the home. The first century peasant home was small, made of black basalt stone with little slits at the top to allow some light. Floors were of unpaved stone, and there was oftentimes straw on the floor because the animals would come in and bed with the family in the colder seasons. You can imagine them, the effort, the time, and the nastiness of what this woman goes through as she sweeps and sifts and pushes her hand through matted straw and reaches her fingers into the cracks in order to search for what she has lost. She will not stop until she finds it. And this is the picture that Jesus wants us to have of his search for us. When he finds, he rescues. He redeems and he rejoices. I got you back. Now our third and fourth pictures in the collage are of two sons. The younger we know is the prodigal, the other as the elder son. Each has potential to have his picture in the collage of God's grace. So we begin with verse 11. The story of the prodigal. He's high-handed rebel. In effect, he tells his father, drop dead, because I want what is coming to me in my inheritance. I want it now. He goes off to the far country. He spends all his money on sensuality, reckless living. But when the fun and the funds run out, he remembers his father's home, and he's determined to go back. He comes to himself and says, I will go back and offer my life as a hired hand to my father. Verse 20, while he is yet a long way off, his father sees him. This is unexpected. What happens next? The father hoists up his robe, and he runs through the streets, 
and he welcomes his son with kisses. Now, townspeople would have gathered in order to hurl hateful words at this shameful acts of this young man. But the father gets to him first, and he throws his arms around him. He calls for a robe to be placed around his bony frame. He asks for a ring to be put on his finger. He belongs and sandals on his calloused feet. It's a huge sacrifice and a significant act of the father. Jesus wants to teach us something about God. God is love. And we enter into this relationship through grace, as the Father has done with the Son. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It's unmerited. It's freely given. It's not earned. It's not deserved. God gives his grace freely, but it costs God everything. Verse 25, that's what we heard read. Now his elder son was in the field. The word, by the way, for elder is presbyteros. That's what we're called, Presbyterian. You may want to know, what's that word mean? It means elder. It doesn't just mean that we're old. It's meaning that we are hopefully wiser, or I don't know. We're leaders, we're elected by the congregation. It's a form of government, and that's why the Presbyterians are called what they are for elders. This elder son hears music and dancing. It must have been like a Yankee homecoming in the courtyard, clogging, clapping, cheering. The servant tells the older son that your brother is here. Your father pulled out all the stops because he received him back safe and sound. That means they're reconciled. They're peace. It, 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 they're okay with each other now. Now, this makes the elder son incensed. After all he has done, the elder son thinks I would never do anything as bad as that. And he refuses to go in. So the father comes out to the elder son. Now the manager of the Red Sox, Joey Cora, when he walks out to the mound, you can be pretty assured the pitcher is soon to go back with him into the dugout. That means it's over for the pitcher. With the father who comes out, he instead pleads for his older son to join him in his joy. How does the son respond? No way. It's not fair. I am the one you owe. I am the dutiful one. I have been obedient all my life. He has not. You see, the older son was doing all that he did all his life long in order to earn his father's love, earn the position that his father would give him. How many of us do the same thing with God? It results then in an interior world of resentment and judgment of others. 
So the Father comes out to us. We cannot enter into this celebration of the Father's joy except by grace. We ourselves can only be included in the collage, in the picture, hanging in God's house by grace, the free gift of God. So let's review. Who's included in God's favor with all the benefits of knowing God? And who is excluded? Those who are included are those who know they are lost and are willing to be found. The one who's nibbled oneself far away from God, not intentionally, but lost, and are willing to be carried back. The one who's been dropped at the hand of another, but is found by Jesus, cleaned, redeemed, and restored. The rebel who is decidedly turned far from God, but who is turned the face back home and is met by the Father with rejoicing. But what about the older son? We don't know. Jesus concludes with his story of the Father's appeal. If it was you, would you go inside? My dear child, your heavenly Father says, Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. Enter into my joy. This brother of yours, you see, he was dead, and he has come to life. He was lost, and he has been found. I conclude with words that were spoken by Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, in the 20th century. He said, the church is supposed to be the one institution that exists primarily for people outside its membership. Why? Because God is searching for those excluded from his grace. He desires for all to be included through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your picture hanging in God's house? Let us pray. Lord, we pray for all of us, for all have fallen short of your glory. And we do need to be found. And those who have been found and are included in all the benefits that you give in Christ, we pray that it may be such a joyful occasion that we too are sent to go search, to love, in Jesus' name, we pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.